a few things actually. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, and pardon my language here, I would probably tell my younger self, chill the fuck out, <laughs> like relax. And what you have to do is you have to ask yourself a question. Whenever you're stressing out about any given thing, ask yourself the question, will that thing still be important like tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, maybe in 10 years? And most of the time, the answer to that is no. So if you, if you are able to like calm yourself and actually engage in some kind of long-term patience, that will yield uh, the best results. Hi guys, my name is Marcel and I'm here today with Hagen Weiss. We will talk about his life, how he came into the blockchain space. And Hagen, let's start right away. My first question would be, what's your catchphrase? Well, that's an extra, excellent question to begin with. Thanks for asking me that. <laughs> um, you know what, I would probably say like, um, the truth is out there, that old X-Files credo. And, and why, it's, why is it important? Well. Um, I'm a curious person by nature. And the thing is, the truth is out there. It simply means the more you keep digging, the more useful information you'll discover and the more you'll be able to educate yourself, especially in the blockchain uh, space and the LT space. And the more you'll be able to make the right decisions for yourself and others. So maybe let's start with your childhood. Where have you been born? How was it? It was excellent. <laughs> it was excellent. I grew up in um, the Black Forest, southern mm. region here of Germany, of this beautiful republic. Here, uh, it, it's simply beautiful. It has stunning nature uh, that you can always experience. But at the same time, um, it's kind of narrow when it comes to both the valleys and politics, as, as far as that is concerned. So when I was growing up, at one point, I was like, okay, I maybe got to get out of here. Mm. Um, and how do you do that? Not just like physically, but also in terms of like a career path in the future. So I was like, it's either politics or the law. And then you end up having to choose one or the other. And the thing about the law is it's universal. It never ends. There's always an answer to your question. And that's why I decided to uh, uh, leave the Black Forest and go to law school. But how was it? Was there a lot of nature or were you, as a child, a lot of in the forest, for example? Yeah, I was like rummaging around in the forest. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> the nature has always been super important uh, mm. to me, um, same as like technology. Mm. So yeah, that's the, that uh, little town called Pforzheim between Karlsruhe and Stuttgart. Mm. So it's right there. Mm. When was the first time you used a computer? Because you already said you were IT oriented. So what was the first time? was probably in school when they like taught us what a computer, what can you do with that? How can you utilize that? Mm -hmm. Do you remember the age? I was probably like maybe 12, 13, 14. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to say I'm old these days. <laughs> hard to remember. <laughs> hard to remember. You already mentioned school. How was it? Was it easy to go there? Did you like it? It was easy for me, obviously. I liked uh, certain subjects and topics more than others. Mm. For instance, I've always loved like languages, uh, German, English, French, Russian, uh, that kind of stuff. Because if, if you are able to communicate, if you're able to express yourself, that uh, goes a long way towards achieving your goals, actually. So I, I love those language classes, for instance. There were other subjects that I didn't like that much. I just 
uh, biology and mm. all the other uh, subjects. It didn't interest me that much, but um, after all, I'd say it was a pretty nice experience going to high school, especially graduating. Again, it was a you know, uh, nice uh, situation that I found myself in, so it's pretty nice, actually. Mm. How much would you say was the impact of the teachers? Was it important to, to have a favorite subject? It was super important. A, the, the teacher, if you have a teacher that like sees uh, where your individual talents lie and what you can maybe accomplish in the future, that is extremely important. There was actually one German teacher that, that told me how to deal with an opponent's arguments, hmm. how to structure your own um, debate, how to achieve uh, your, your goals. And maybe that even influenced me as, as a lawyer, as a lawyer that I am today. So having that one teacher, that that one teacher that A believes in you and B shows you how to like accomplish what you wanna accomplish goes a long way. It's incredibly important. And if you if you can combine that with the right subjects that that are of interest to you, then uh, there's basically no limit. Hmm. Super interesting. I completely agree. It's the same. Uh, the same I was true in my school time. Um, maybe let's move on. So. You would you say you have an average score, or what, how was your score at the end? Of well, I had good grades basically, mm. but especially again in, in those subjects that interested me, there were others uh, where I basically felt like a total loser. But it's okay, that's okay. <laughs> the, the, old, the older you get, um, the more you realize, or you hopefully realize, that only the stuff that really interests you can be really utilized uh, in the long term. And that's what like sets you apart from, from the average from the rest. So that, that's perfectly fine. If you have like a high school degree, a graduate degree that says you actually excel in those subjects, those topics that matter to you, that's perfectly fine. You can basically ignore the rest as long as you get a passing grade, obviously. True. And now you're, uh, we are at the end of your school term. You finished school. How was your selection process um, to choose the right opportunity? after school well, i was actually thinking about maybe uh, going to med school or going to law school or other stuff because i just wanted to do something with my life i just wanted to like make an impact as, as, as cheesy as pathetic that might sound but i simply wanted to like occupy my time in a, in a meaningful way and the difference for instance between medical school um and, and law school is medicine can do a lot of things, but you can only do so much. And like I already said, the law is basically like limitless. There's, there's no boundaries. There's always an answer out there. You just like, again, the truth is out there. Dig hard enough and long enough, you'll find the answer to your question or the answer to your client's question. You can make a lot of people happy. You can protect a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And that's what mattered to me. So I was like, okay, I should probably go to law school. Mm -hmm. Because at the same time, I was also interested in politics. Then again, um, every person who has an open mind can probably never 100% agree with the political parties like as a whole, meaning there's always something that should annoy you when it comes to political parties. So you have to limit yourself. And I'm not a big fan of limiting myself, hmm. hence law school. So where did you study then? Oh, I studied, I studied in Mannheim. In Mannheim. Okay. So how was it? And was it an easy decision to, to, to choose Mannheim, for example? It was a pretty easy decision in terms of that the focus was on technology and the capital mm. markets, while at the same time teaching you the foundations of law as a whole and combining those factors. And it, it's a beautiful university. It's a beautiful campus. You get to like see a library, which is actually part of a castle. Mm. 
So that is a pretty nice setting and having the right mindset. Obviously, we all know that goes a long way towards um, delivering good results. At the same time, in retrospect, it was probably a, a bit close towards where I grew up. Where I grew up, it was probably like 90 kilometers away. So um, still, still in the same region, the same southern region of Germany. Could you explain how to study Europe? So how is it, how is it structured in Germany specifically? Yeah, well, the, it basically starts with the foundations of the law, what, what, what constitutes law in general. Mm -hmm. There's the three pillars, basically, of law, meaning there, there's a public part of the law, there's the common slash civil law, there's also the criminal uh, law that you have to like actually like uh, learn. So, and, and then it moves on from that, it becomes more specific. You have to pass uh, certain tests, obviously, in order to advance. And then there's, there's the main enemy, which mm -hmm. is called the, the bar exam. And that's where a lot of people unfortunately fail or they don't get good enough grades. And then they have to repeat that. So it all leads towards that one big shootout, that legal shootout in terms of, of the bar exam. So it goes from like the general thing to more specific things and then towards the bar exam. Mm -hmm. So how was the bar exam for you? Uh, pretty, pretty interesting experience. You don't sleep that well during the nights leading up to the bar exam. At least I didn't, but it's perfectly fine. It's perfectly fine. I learned to like harness that in the future. I don't sleep that much like the night before big trials or big like meetings and stuff, which is perfectly fine. I'm not that nervous now. I'm just like, my mind is up there trying to figure out the best solution for the clients and uh, connecting the dots in retrospect. It has always been that way. And it was the same thing with the bar exam, obviously. The only thing that matters is if you can like marshal your strengths and if you can like get enough energy during the actual like exam dates. And luckily that, that happened. Um, so now you have finished your exams. What was the way after that? There's this um, part of like, let's call it the legal studies mm -hmm. that comes after uh, having the first bar exam. Mm -hmm. It's called the legal traineeship referendariat. It's basically where you enjoy the reality of law. When you go to law school, you like get to know the law from a more like theoretical standpoint. You know, you can really understand uh, how it plays out in real life. And that traineeship that is meant to teach you like the ways of the law, how it is actually applied. And it's, uh, it, it's, it's different from state to state, obviously, but it's about two years, basically. And you uh, get to work for the, the, the federal prosecutor or the, the public prosecutor. Um, you get to know the works of uh, a judge, for instance. And you are supposed to understand how a lawyer in private practice works. And that was actually pretty interesting. It was super interesting. And uh, the thing is, it was still largely centered around like Karlsruhe, Stuttgart, all those cities, Mannheim, where I spent the parts of that traineeship. Nevertheless, the last portion of that, it's called the Wahlstation, the, the selective station, where you basically get to do whatever you like for three months. Mm -hmm. I managed to get like an internship in LA, in Los Angeles, in, in the US. Um, so that was pretty dope, actually. It was pretty amazing. It was the best part. Okay, so how was it? Uh, tell us a little bit more about Los Angeles and how, how it's to work there. It was, it was like simply amazing, really. Like, I, was, <laughs> I, was, I was in my mid-20s, obviously. Mm. Then um, didn't care about a lot of things other than the law and family and friends, obviously. And the second I said foot on like American soil, I was hooked. 
I was hooked because the weather was super nice. People were friendly, unlike certain parts here in <laughs> Europe. Uh, there's small talk involved. You can get to know people better even through that small talk. And then the U.S. legal system just got me hooked. It's like a way, it has a way to engage with you on a personal basis that is unknown to the, let's say, continental European ways. So that was a combination that was pretty much intoxicating. And at that point, I was, I was pretty nervous, actually, because I, I chose that internship because I wanted to improve my English, basically. That was one of the main reasons. Because at that point in time, I had never been abroad. I spent all of my uh, legal studies, basically, in Germany and here in Europe. So I was like, okay, now you really need to like, uh, improve your English. And, and that worked. But nevertheless, I showed up there with like, only like a basic level of English. So that was kind of a challenge. But the harder you work, the better results you get. Hard work always pays off. So I guess it was just an amazing experience. Hmm. So you really jumped into the cold water? Definitely. Like, you have to do was that. Was it like that? It was, it was pretty much like that. As amazing as it was, <laughs> and, you know, the human mind has like this tendency to in retrospect, illuminate things in a way, point like, pointed towards a more positive picture. Once you find yourself in a particular, in any given situation, actually, you might not uh, feel like that's super comfortable. So that's that huge uh, thing about you have to leave your comfort zone. We all know that, but it doesn't feel that pleasant once you actually yeah. have to do that. So I was kind of nervous, but um, I met a, a lot of cool people that, that taught me how to basically uh, engage even in English. So that that's... Uh, another huge advantage so th that's another thing that we might want to take away from that like you have to find the right person mm -hmm. the right people that want to help you that really want to support you okay perfect and now you came back to germany after after los angeles what what have you done there i worked as a litigator so mm -hmm. i've basically seen too many courtrooms and spent too much time in courtrooms but i, I like conflict i like a good conflict so that's perfectly fine with me um it was still on capital markets law, some um, criminal um, liability stuff as well. And then um, we can actually go back to LA because at the end of the, that selective station, at the end of my LA internship, mm -hmm. they were like, do you want to stay? <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a cool story because uh, they, they saw me like working late basically as an intern, wasn't paid or anything. So... They were like, okay, we recognize talent. Would you like to stay? It's like, okay, let me just get a visa first and maybe let me finish my, uh, my legal studies. So I definitely appreciate that. So, and, uh, so I worked in Germany as a litigator and then moved back to LA for a couple of years. Hmm. Okay. And you work for the same company in Los Angeles? Yep. Can you name it? Yes, of course. It's called Mergers and Coming. Hmm. It's a, a, a US-based law firm. Mm, okay. And on what kind of projects uh, did you work there? They do like mostly like insurance law, mm. the litigation side of things. And I was basically tasked with explaining the German angle. Mm. Do you have maybe one case that is really in your mind? Hi guys, if you like these episodes, don't forget to like, subscribe and share with your friends. Um, there was one case I, I cannot, <laughs> I, I cannot uh, tell you too much about yeah. it, unfortunately, because there's this confidentiality mm -hmm. involved and stuff. But uh, if, if you Google a lot of things, you, again, the truth is out there, I dig up a lot of information. Maybe there is one thing, um, do not drink too many energy drinks at once, mm -hmm. because that might uh, lead to results that you don't like.
Hmm. So word to the wise, not enough energy drinks out there. <laughs> and then when came you back to Germany? Or how was the decision process to, to come back? Because as you described, Los Angeles was great. The United States of America was great. Uh, so why did you come back to, to Germany or even Europe? I was kind of torn between staying and, and coming back because, mm. again, the reason why I went to law school was because I actually wanted to make things better on a broader scale. I wanted maybe to work even for the government, not because it's super safe, uh, but because you can affect change on, again, the, the, the broader scope, the broader mm. scale. And working private practice, at least back then, that wasn't what I was like really envisioning for myself. And it, it was nice enough. But then at the same time, it was this like pull to back towards Germany, towards Europe. So I applied for government positions, and I ended up working for Bafin actually, and that was that was the reason. Mm -hmm. Can you can you maybe explain your responsibility there a little bit more? Yes, of course. Uh, so I started in like the more conventional financial market uh, departments, and uh, there was at the end of 2017, uh, basically my boss back then asked me, "Do you know what an ICO is?" Mm -hmm. I was like, "Okay, yeah, yeah, sounds familiar." Bitcoin, right? <laughs> uh, so I, I ended up um, being in charge of dealing with uh, the assessment of tokens, of uh, maybe security tokens, that mm. kind of stuff. And then I made my way up to Bafin and I ended up with the strategy and regulation department, as le at least as it's not now. And that's when I basically drafted like the, the larger, broader scale in terms of like the token economy, the regulatory framework here in Germany. And again, hard work always pays. Um, I was tapped by the Ministry of Finance to work there in Berlin, uh, especially during the time of the German Council Presidency in uh, 2020, when Mika was first published as part of the EU Digital Finance Package. And um, I worked in two departments there. One was the digital part, and the other one was the more conservative, classical, conventional financial market regulation department. It was a pretty intense time, especially given that we had to negotiate all of those uh, dossiers and, and uh, the things that were put forward by the commission and by the council presidency during that time. I also got to draft the Electronic Securities Act here in Germany, EDPG. Mm -hmm. uh, I was the guy who basically messed it up <laughs> <laughs> uh, together with my colleagues, obviously. <laughs> and uh, that was pretty intense. Cool. Of course, now I have multiple questions. Let us up maybe, when was the first time you heard about cryptocurrencies? You said in 2017, your boss came to you, but have you heard about Bitcoin before then? Mm, it was probably like years before mm. when I read the white paper, mm. Bitcoin white paper, because I was fascinated about the things that they were proposed, like peer-to-peer, -peer, we don't need no intermediaries. And it was just like fascinating to me because I was like, okay, intermediaries, A, cause usually a lot of friction. And they're not the most democratic way to establish access to any kind of market. Hmm. So being a little bit naive, maybe it was again my mid twenties. It's like okay, that sounds interesting to me. Let's let's dig a little deeper there. But then I kind of like uh, gave it a rest because again I had to pass a bar exam hmm. <laughs> and stuff like that. All the things that matter apart from Bitcoin. And uh, then that love though was rekindled when my bosses told me. Um, look at what kind of legal statutes might apply to ICOs and SCOs. Hmm. Of course, if you speak about uh, ICOs, we speak about Ethereum. Mm -hmm. So how would you compare maybe Bitcoin to Ethereum or 
what's what's your opinion about those two? Well, Bitcoin has its own very specific use case, regardless of what people think mm -hmm. it is. It will always have that intrinsic value that you cannot censor. It, it might come with drawbacks, it might come with disadvantages, we all know that, but it has inherent value. So mm -hmm. that's that. Ethereum, on the other hand, is on a broader scale probably more useful to like people who want to build, who want to have their own ideas established and who want to make that a reality. So there, there's more and more creative ways that you can engage with Ethereum. Yeah, I would completely agree. Uh, now, maybe let's go a little bit deeper in how how regulation is done and finished. So could you could you describe the process? Also, how much of maybe internal advisors are there, maybe external advisors, mm -hmm. and how is the process uh, structured? Of course. Well, it basically starts with a problem. Because the government realizes there's a problem, there is a situation, a real-life situation that needs to be regulated, it needs to be solved. Because otherwise, we might have uh, negative uh, repercussions and ramifications that no one can actually want. Mm -hmm. So then the government usually looks at the framework that's already in place. The question is, does it pertain to that novel legal issue or do we actually have to change something? And there's two ways. You can either change the current statutes that are already in place, or you draft completely new regulation. And that's actually the evolving scale of crypto regulation. Mm -hmm. We had that first like situations where there were ICOs, white papers that were published, and then maybe people wanted to like get access to the more regulated parts of the market, meaning that is actually deemed a financial instrument, a transferable security under MIFID. Hence, you have to, for instance, publish a securities prospectus. And then you have to think, okay, is that, is that a transferable security under MIFID? That token, that um, particular project that you have? So that's the first stage. You apply the framework that's already in place. Then that leads to other questions. The next questions are there's actually topics that are not covered by the existing framework. So we have to like adapt something. Can we adapt that? Yeah, okay. On what scale can we adapt? There's too many issues out there, and that, that is definitely true for crypto. Okay, so we might need an entirely new framework that draws from past experiences, obviously, but we need a new law, basically, a new statute. And in terms of crypto, those were a few statutes, actually. That's when uh, we decided to basically walk into the future and no longer require a paper document to issue securities. That's when we drafted the Electronic Securities Act here in Germany. That was the, another part. Another phase was when the commission published the EU digital finance package to basically create a framework to make Europe fit for the digital age. And there, there's Mika, there's a DMT pilot regime, there's also DORA. So that's when you see, okay, it's literally like uh, gathering speed, it's gaining traction. And. Mm -hmm. um, how would you compare maybe the current regulation in Germany with other European countries? Do you, do you think we are ahead of others or are we behind? We might be ahead of others in terms of the actual statutes that we have. And um, the political side of, of our country clearly recognizes that there is a need to regulate. But the thing is, regulation can never be in existence just for itself sake. So it has to achieve certain goals. And when it comes to that, we need a top-down political decision that we need and we want blockchain and DOT mm. here in this country. 
meaning we might have to adjust the scales a bit to be crypto friendly. That doesn't mean we would welcome like anybody maybe with even malicious or nefarious intents that they might harbor or not, but it means welcoming the, the right projects and the right intentions and the right ideas. There's other countries out there, especially here in Europe, that are, let's say, maybe more crypto friendly. There's a political mindset. They want to draw in crypto business. France might be named. There's also other countries out there that have just a loser framework in terms of regulation. I don't know if that's always the right decision. And I don't know if that's always the right way to go because you can uh, see that there's a lot of uh, bad things happening if you don't have type regulations on the topics that matter, while at the same time allowing entrepreneurs to like get creative and to service the market. Yeah, I completely agree. Hi guys, we will do a second episode with every guest. So if you have any kind of question that I haven't asked, just let me know in the comments. There will be a second episode. <coughs> I know a lot of executives from blockchain companies mm -hmm. or from banks and most agree that the regulation in Germany is really good. But what we need maybe a little bit more is the top-down uh, principle from the government saying, okay, we want cryptocurrencies. Maybe even um, part from the party which uh, at the moment ruling in Germany to really say, okay, we accept blockchain. We want to go and we have our own strategy to, to define an own strategy. I think that's really important. Um, how do you see Mika and the European approach? I think it's definitely a, a step, a first step in the right direction. Mm. Because you already have the, the measures in place that you technically need to succeed here in Germany and in Europe. And what, what you just mentioned is, is perfectly right. I couldn't agree more. You need um, politicians to say, we want this, we want yeah. this to happen. It can already be a huge advantage and a huge result, a positive result, if you talk to the right people, if you know people, lawyers, for instance, that know what they're talking about and that, that know who to talk about those particular topics and that also are able to translate what the individual entrepreneur is trying to say and accomplish. Because what I've seen so far, and um, that stems back to my time as a regulator and policymaker, there's a lot of stuff that gets lost in translation. Those two sides do not necessarily know how to best communicate with each other. And as with all things in life, over-communication is usually, usually <laughs> the best way to achieve things. So while the upcoming uh, regulation that we have in Europe is a good first step, we can already harness the stuff that we have in place right now. As I understood, or as I understand it, uh, NFTs are at the moment not part of Mika. Uh, they are excluded. How do you see NFT regulation in, in Europe or in Germany at the moment? Do we need more regulation in that part? I don't think we necessarily need more regulation. Mm -hmm. We should actually let the market develop. We should let the market mature. And you do not necessarily let a market mature by like uh, choking it to mm -hmm. death with additional regulation that's like super hard to uh, be compliant. So I guess if we have those guardrails in place, meaning investor protection and making sure that there is no fraudulent uh, practices, we, I guess, should let certain market developments just like happen. And NFTs are so incredibly important. You, of course, hear all those like voices in maybe academia, maybe the press saying NFTs are dead. No, they're not. They're not. They're actually the part that connects blockchain to like the larger parts of society. There, there's fashion, there's sports, there's the diversity topics that can be heard, that can be enabled through that technology. Because let's face it, uh, blockchain DOT is um, 
largely connected to financial transactions. And that's sometimes a bit boring. Even if you, if you talk to like the broader masses, the, the general public, no one should ever underestimate the power of money, right? Because money simply represents access and power. So if you have that and blockchain is a way of giving you access to that, it's a huge step in the right direction. It's hugely important. Nevertheless, NFTs enable the broader public to get in touch with, with crypto, with NFTs, or with both DLT and blockchain in general. And that is something that should never be underestimated. You need like the general public to actually understand what's happening. Only, only by doing that, you have like responsible citizens that will support you by going to the next step. Mm, I agree. And now we already spoken about NFTs. At the moment, I think there are three hot topics, NFTs, Metaverse, and DeFi. So do you have your own ranking? Um, what is maybe developing farther than the other? Or how do you see, so let's say, three spaces inside of the blockchain space? Well, I think NFTs are super important when it comes to like mass adoption mm -hmm. of crypto. The metaverse itself, uh, by the way, it's not a like legal free zone. There's definitely laws that are in place and it should be applied there. That um, is an area where I think it, it needs some more time. But the projects that are being built right now that are actually like inspiring, that are like uh, very impressive, actually. So I'm kind of bullish on that too. But what I'm most bullish about is decentralized finance. Because decentralized finance is something that really enables you to build something on your own. You're able to like not have too many intermediaries in there. And obviously in, in a perfect world, no intermediaries. So that's super close to the actual idea. And if you are able to harness the essence of the very idea, at least if it's a good idea, then you are basically able to achieve the best results possible. So DeFi, that's probably in, in, in my honest opinion, Uh, the most important part here, we need to make sure that we're actually talking about DeFi, obviously, not just like some semi-DeFi project that gets a bad rap if one of uh, certain certain exchanges fails yeah. again. But um, that's the most important topic, I guess. And it's also probably the most difficult topic because the government per se is a bit skeptical of it, which can be understood, definitely. Having worked for the government, I understand where they're coming from. Because it leads to basically drawing power back from the government towards whoever is in charge of of, De of DeFi, of the protocols, for instance. And that's something you have to keep in mind, too, that you do not concentrate too much power in just like a few hands. But uh, that's basically why the government is somewhat afraid of it. Mm. Because you probably know that, that old Slipknot song, uh, Duality, like you cannot kill what you did not create. And <laughs> that's why they're so afraid of it. Um, if you if you take maybe a look into the future, maybe in 10 years, DeFi will be more mature, maybe more important for the world. How do you think, what is a good regulation for DeFi? And where's maybe the, the access point from, from a regulation perspective? Should it be a wallet, wallet-oriented approach, a layer, blockchain layer approach? Or where do you see maybe regulation or transparency is, is needed that a government Uh, can can follow their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. We should definitely move away from like that entire gatekeeper idea mm -hmm. because the government always needs one subject to address. That subject holds the responsibility and that is basically the main point of contact for the government. 
That's not necessarily the case with decentralized finance, obviously. So if we can move away from those gatekeeper mentality uh, issues, there will be a huge step already. How could you regulate it? I'm actually working on a few questions to solve that. There's going to be a paper soon, so stay tuned as far as that is concerned. With a lot of uh, great minds, obviously. Um, how could you regulate it? Well, maybe, again, do not like rely on what I call regulatory carpet bombing. Uh, do not try to like choke it with regulation. Try to like let it develop when it comes to that. And maybe do not try to prohibit uh, any kind of wallet access. So that would be a huge, um, huge success, I guess. Another idea is to maybe like, like the market itself organize itself and then basically just establish some kind of framework within those framework uh, ideas you can color, basically. You can establish your projects. Hmm. So maybe maybe uh, let us uh, do a step forward. So if you think about um, the, your career, was there maybe one case in total that really reminds you or that you were really proud of or a regulation that you have done? What is maybe uh, those, those part you're most uh, proud of? Well, I'm definitely proud of uh, the Electronic Securities Act, it's kind of like my baby. Oh. I don't have any children, so maybe that's my first, <laughs> my first child. There's Mika. I, I was lucky enough to be able to uh, negotiate as part of the delegation for the uh, Federal Republic of Germany there. The DLT pilot regime is another thing that I'm proud of because I was basically in charge of that during the council presidency. It's highly technical, but sometimes it just pays to um, concern yourself with highly technical ideas that might seem complex and complicated, but if you do that, it will yield the best results. So that's what I'm proud of. Just in general, I'm probably proud of the fact that um, I can do pro bono work now. We can, here in Dentons, for instance, promote diversity issues, because that's another thing that needs to be talked about, diversity in blockchain. And it's not just necessarily like the ladies out there in crypto, it's like, Every time you enter into a situation where you have like one group that basically is extremely like not unique, then you end up in a situation where you have just one opinion and that's never a good idea. Mm. So that's another thing that I'm really happy to do right now, diversity and pro bono. You can actually help people. You don't have like the financial side of, of the legal business, but you can actually help actual people. Mm. Completely agree. Pro bono is really important, I think, uh, because of course not everybody has the money to, yeah. to, to finance it. Um, what was, if you take a look back in the past, what was the biggest obstacle for you and what was maybe the biggest hurdle to overcome in your life? Personally? Personally. I, I want to say like, um, you really have to like reckon with yourself and what really like motivates you and fuels you. And that involves making some wrong decisions. You should never like follow the money, right? Do not follow the money. That, that at least holds, holds true for, mm -hmm. for myself. Do not follow the money, follow injustice and try to fight it. And that doesn't always have to be like the most menacing opponent or enemy that you single-handedly are defeating at the end of the day. They could be like small things, like making things better for people out there, the people you care about, or maybe people you don't even know. You know, but making things better, making their daily lives better on like a small scale is just like something that's incredibly important. And ha realizing that is a huge obstacle. We always, we always, nobody knows themselves. 
like in your, I guess, like late uh, teens, early 20s, 30s. So I guess it, it's a process and that can be an obstacle sometimes. Mm -hmm. What would be your advice for your younger self to achieve exactly that? A few things, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, first of all, pardon my language here. I would probably tell my younger self, chill the fuck out, <laughs> like relax. And what you have to do is you have to ask yourself a question. Whenever you're stressing out about any given thing, ask yourself the question, will that thing still be important like tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, maybe in 10 years? And most of the time, the answer to that is no. So if you, if you are able to like calm yourself and actually engage in some kind of long-term patience, that will yield uh, the best results. I guess another thing is um, do not take any abuse, especially when it comes to like people that care a lot about other people's and care a lot for other people's like safety and uh, things in general. They, they tend to uh, not take themselves too seriously because of course, again, you don't want to be pretentious or anything, right? So that's something that you should really keep in mind all the time. If you find yourself in a situation where you don't get a say how things are run and you are not respected, Try to change it, like in a polite way, obviously, maybe in a, in a, in a somewhat impatient way. That um, That's a good thing. Sometimes being impatient is also a good thing. But if things don't change, you should be brave enough to leave. You should respect yourself enough to leave. Perfect. Thanks a lot for this. I think that's, uh, that's really important. Um, now we are at the end of 2022. How do you see the current blockchain market and maybe what's your outlook for that for 2023? Well, you had um, the statement issued by uh, Mark Branson just recently saying he doesn't want to kill crypto, but he doesn't like the risk. Mm -hmm. And in connection with that, now we are experiencing a crypto winter, but that doesn't necessarily preclude any kind of uh, crypto spring in, in the future. So I think that's actually what's going to happen. Uh, 2023 was pretty rough, I guess, both for the markets and, and the people that are in there, obviously for all of us in, in a way. Some people have lost huge sums of money and stuff and that, that's sad, it's simply sad, man. But at the same time, that might help to flush out bad actors, bad projects, and it will definitely lead to an increased level of regulation, which might be a good thing because increased regulation can also enable some kind of safe space for you to develop your ideas. And yes, it is harder to be regulatory compliant with certain requirements and thresholds that might be imposed by new regulation. But at the same time, if your project is good enough, you'll always find a way to succeed. If you are really like convinced that your project is good, if you're doing like the right kind of stuff, the right kind of people, if you have the right advisors, if you have the right team, if you really believe in your cause, then regulation should not stop you. And I think 2023 could not be not be like a, a really bad year because there's, again, there, there's new ideas developing. So 2022 was, like I said, a rough year. Uh, but next year, we'll probably see some kind of crypto spring. Mm -hmm. Do you see, according to that, more regulations in the United States as well? And do you think that's a big driver? We haven't speaking so far about uh, United States of America and regulation there. Let, let's just say uh, I was at a conference a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago, a few weeks ago, and um, that was the first time when I experienced the following situation. 
uh, Americans being almost jealous of our European situa situation pertaining to financial markets when it comes to crypto, obviously, because you already have regulations in place. And there's also obviously regulations uh, in the United States when it comes to crypto. You have the SEC, obviously, uh, you have certain state laws, you have, you have the, the CFTC, uh, a lot of the, those guys are doing a great job, but nevertheless, it's not as regulated as it is here and as it is uh, as it will be here in the near future. So I guess what happened uh, a few weeks ago with, for instance, FTX imploding is there will definitely be a driver for more regulation, even in the States. Hmm. Because one of the most, um, I would say, famous question on the blockchain space, when will the Bitcoin ETF come <laughs> in the United States? What's your opinion about it? Will it take us more couple of years or uh, what's your timeline for that because i think that's a question that's in the market for i think around five years now um well i'm not unfortunately i'm not clairvoyant as far as that is concerned. <laughs> otherwise i would be a really rich person <laughs> um but the thing is there is a political drive to enable that mm. from what i can understand and what i can see so it will be it will happen in the future maybe the, the not so distant future <laughs> let's see um And now let's take a look uh, into 2023 for you personally. What will, will there be some change or what are you looking for? Well, I had uh, my uh, fair amount of change in, in 2022 in mm -hmm. this year. So um, I hope we can consolidate. Next year, we have a lot of super interesting projects in, in the blockchain space here um, that I'm able to advise on. And, and those guys are like, those guys are driven. And that is something that inspires me the most as a lawyer. You actually get to help clients fulfill their dreams. And those dreams are bold sometimes. So the craziest ideas out there, please come to Denton's. Uh, we're going <laughs> to try to take a look at, at that and we're going to try to make it possible as much as it is possible. So I think uh, and I actually hope that in you know, the next year we'll see like uh, a development towards more projects here and towards more and super interesting projects. I'm super lucky right now because I already have those projects. I wouldn't complain about more of them, of course. Hmm, of course. Um, I think that's, that's maybe the right point. So to, to put in the question, where can the people find you on social media? And maybe what are the questions that people come to you as you describe more projects are always super interesting. Um, how would you say, what's the best, uh, best way to approach? Well, you can always send me an email. There's my email um, on the company's uh, website, obviously. You can try to find me on LinkedIn, for instance. Being a former like uh, public servant, I have to kind of like hold back when it comes to Twitter, when it comes to social media in general. But um, if you want to have like conversation, obviously, since I'm, I'm a lawyer now, we can have that private conversation and it'll obviously keep it confidential. Just reach out in whatever way you can. You can actually give me a call. You can call a dentist office here in Frankfurt and they will always reach me. Or just shoot me an email email addresses out there um, so that can be obviously done uh, when it comes to the kinds of questions that you might have mm. everything that involves technology if you are able to do some kind of like technological deep dive and you're not sure which kind of regulation applies here uh, then I might be the right guy for you that might be the right lawyer for you every time you might already have a, a, a general idea of which regulation might be pertinent to your case I can help you figure out a way through the regulatory maze because that can be quite challenging. And what I'm experiencing more and more from my clients is 
uh, they're quite happy if at the end of the day, they can actually focus on their business and I can take care of those regular problems for them. I can help them navigate that maze. And that's actually something that's super fulfilling for me as a lawyer, because if you can actually help people at, at the end of the day, that's, uh, that's just something I've always wanted to do. So I think that's the perfect time for you guys reach out. Uh, I think uh, one of the smartest lawyers I know in the space. Uh, <laughs> you heard the, you heard a lot about uh, his life so far, what he's already done, and I think uh, now uh, type in or call him. Um, thanks a lot for the interview. Appreciate it was a pleasure. Thanks. And me. looking forward to the next episode. Cut. <laughs> <laughs>